We all have dreams, whether large or small. All dreams take steps to achieve. And sometimes we think it takes a complex formula to get where we want to be. But in reality, small steps over time create big results. This is the tipping point. Well, welcome to Life Point today. Thanks for being here. We're in a series called The Tipping Point. I want to tell you a story, personal story, before I get started on today's message. Uh, our now 21 year old daughter, uh, she had some issues when she was three years old, she couldn't talk. Or she could talk, she could make noise, she couldn't make words. And in her mind, she was saying the word, but it just came out as jibber-jabber. So it was real peaceful around our house all the time. So she had to go to pretty intense speech therapy for a year. The first day she went to speech therapy, it didn't make a difference. Second day, no difference. So I started cutting deals with her. I said, when you can come home and ask for a puppy, we'll get one. A few months down the road, she came home and asked for a puppy, and we went and got one. She just took those little steps over time, and it made a big difference. That's what the tipping point is all about. It's small steps that we take over time that lead to a huge difference down the road. If you've ever broken an addiction in your life, you know what it means to reach the tipping point. If you've ever had some physical goals, some fitness goals, and you reached them, you know what it was like to reach that tipping point where you stepped on the scales and you saw it finally going in your direction. Or if you've ever had some academic goals, you see when it finally starts to move in your direction because of those little bits of investment and input over time, they finally start to gather momentum and then you've reached the tipping point. And so what I want to talk to you about today, for some of you, you have already reached the tipping point here. Most of you have not. Some of you, this will be easy to implement into your life. Some, it's going to take some really small steps over time. But if you do what I'm going to challenge you to do now, it will make a difference in your life because it's an area where all of us can grow and it's about generosity. Now, this is probably gonna be one of the hardest ones of the habits that we've talked about in this teaching series because when I talk about Bible study, 
hey, let's all study the Bible and get a little bit of God's word into our life every day. And we're going to reach this point where it's a daily part of our lives. Yes, I'll do that. When we talk about worship and what it really means to worship God seven days a week and these small investments of time that we make in worshiping God, we eventually see how that's going to make a difference. And then when we talk about prayer and we say, we want you to take these small steps over time to pray and you'll reach a time in your life when it really does make a daily difference. But then when we come to generosity, that sounds a lot like money. And that makes you go, whoa, hold on a second. I was with you on the Bible study, and I was with you on the prayer stuff, but now we're talking about money. Look, just stick with me. You're probably wondering by now, is he going to ask for money tonight? I'm not. The offering has already been passed around. You've already had an opportunity to be generous. This is about something else. We're not going to ask you to check anything on a card. We're not going to ask you to fill anything out. There are times for that, and we need that at times, but that's not what this message is about right now. This one is about generosity. What you do with your money, what you do with your stuff, how it interacts and how you interact in your life with your money and your stuff. Here's a couple of things that we need to understand about generosity. Generosity is not in our nature. If you think it is, go over in the toddler room right now and see if those toddlers are being generous with each other. I guarantee they're not. If there's two toddlers and one toy, you're going to have to have a mediator or there's going to be a lot of crying going on. It's just not in our nature to be generous. Our nature is mine, 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 mine. And so that's what we have to understand about generosity. It's something we have to be very intentional about if it's ever going to be a part of our life in such a way that changes us. We have to understand it's something I have to learn and discipline myself in order to do. Another thing about generosity is it cannot be motivated by guilt. I mean, I could make you feel guilty enough to give to something but a generous lifestyle cannot happen through guilt. Have you ever gone through Starbucks and you get up to the window and the person at the window says, hey, the person in front of you paid for you. Would you like to pay for the person behind you? Well, I always feel guilty and go, yeah, I guess. I mean, since you asked, what are they getting? That's what I'm thinking first. Like, well, tell me what they got first. How many people are in the car? Because I'm just one. But I feel guilty when they ask, and I never say, well, how many or what is it? I just go, well, sure, I'll do it. Generosity cannot be forced. It has to happen naturally. It has to become a desire that we have in our hearts, and we have to become convinced that it's a better way to live than the way we're currently living. Now, we mostly think about money when we think about generosity, but oftentimes it has a lot more to do with than just finances. Most of us fall in a couple different categories when it comes to money. We, we largely fall in a couple different camps when it comes to money. There are people, and in this room right now, there are, there are people that you are a saver, right? And everybody in the room's like, 
every saver in the room is thinking, well, yeah, I mean, that's the way to live, right? Saving is the way to go. Then there are people that uh, if we put you in groups, you would be a spender. Now, these are opposites. And this is my wife and I, one's a spender, one's a saver. I'm the spender. I have extra money. I think about ways I can spend it. She has extra money. She thinks about ways she can save it. So it's not a right or wrong. It's just two ways of looking at our resources. How many savers do we have? Just be honest, right? Even those of you watching on the screen, be honest. Just raise your hand. Now, how many spenders do we have? Come on, this is church. See, the spenders are more proud (laughs) than the savers are. So we fall in these two categories, and neither of these is wrong to spend. You got to save money. It makes sense. But you need to enjoy it a little bit. You need to buy some stuff for yourself. That's okay. Here's where both of these can get into trouble. If you're a saver, you're not too many steps away from becoming a miser, from being someone who gets your, your hope and your confidence through the stuff that you save up, through the money that you have. You're always thinking about how much do I have? How much can I save? How much more can I save? And you kind of get your confidence in life and your security from your saving. It's okay to save. It's okay to be here. But you have to be careful not to move into this category of being a miser. Now, the person that's a spender... Well, they have to be careful too, because being a spender, it's not too many more steps until you become a materialist, where you get your contentment in life from the things that you buy. You feel better if you have the newest and the latest and whatever's sitting in the driveway or mounted on the wall or whatever you're walking into after work, whatever it is, you feel better about life and yourself because of the purchases that you make. Now, both extremes are far from God's design for our lives. It's okay to spend. It's okay to save. It's okay to spend. But we have to be really careful that we don't move to the edges because the further you move out to the edges, the less generous you're going to be with your resources. But God has a desire for all of us when it comes to our generosity. Yes, he wants us to save. Yes, we spend. And that's okay. But as we move further out to the edges and deal with the struggle of being in these two chairs, we move further away from God's design for us and our financial resources that we have. Jesus actually had a lot to say about money. He talked about money almost more than any other topic. He talked about it over and over again, money and possessions, because he knew the power they had to have control over our lives. Whether it's saving it up and feeling like, well, I've got security because I have it saved up, or whether it's spending it like crazy so you can feel like, well, I've got some enjoyment out of life. See, the further you move out to the edges, the less you're trusting in God for what he can only provide for you. And so Jesus talked a lot about it. There's a story in the New Testament specifically where he addressed someone who dealt with this right here. 
There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. You can have one of those. You can also follow along on the screen. So in the New Testament book of Luke, Jesus has been teaching some deep spiritual truths. And this man comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, my brother and I have a dispute about money and I want you to tell him to divide the money with me. So he's thinking about money. Jesus is trying to t- teach spiritual things. And so Jesus responds not by telling him what he should do with the money. He says this in Luke 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he's saying to them, Jesus, the one born of a virgin, the one who raised from the dead, the one who performed miracles is saying, watch out. If Jesus says watch out, we should probably watch out. And he's saying, watch out for this specific thing that became obvious this guy was dealing with, and that was greed. He's saying, you better be careful because when you're greedy, your life starts to consist in the abundance of the things you possess. How do you get rid of greed? You give things away. That's how you get rid of greed, you give. And so he tells them a story, a parable about someone who dealt with greed and how it played out in their life. And it starts in verse 16. It says, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, don't miss this because it's really easy to say, well, that's a story about a rich guy. I'm not a rich guy, so that doesn't apply to me. (laughs) This guy was rich because he had more than he needed. I would say everybody listening or watching, you probably have more than you need If you don't, you need to come and talk to us. Do you know that if you make more than $27,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of the world's wage earners? That means 96% of the world is poorer than you. Top 4%. I mean, that's just probably a minimum wage working job, and you're in the top 4% of the world's wage earners. So... Are we rich? Do we have more than we need? The great majority of us, yes. We have abundantly more than we need. So Jesus says, watch out when it comes to money. Because my loyalties will shift from where they need to be, whether I'm a saver or a spender, 
My loyalties can still be to God and to being generous, no matter which one of these two chairs I sit in. But as I move out to the edges and I let these things start to control my life and I start to find security and contentment in these things, I move further away from God's design for my life. And the only way to fix that is to be generous. There's no other way to fix it. You can't pray hard enough. You can't read enough scripture. You can't hang out with enough people. The only way to fix greed is to be generous. And this guy who said, I got all this stuff and I'm just going to store it up and I'm going to have a great life. He didn't understand a couple things. First thing he didn't understand, everything belongs to God. Everything. Everything you have belongs to God. Another thing he didn't understand is that God doesn't need what you have. God is not saying, oh, I hope they're generous because it's, you know, it's a tight month. I'm not sure. Here's what God has to say about our possessions that we think are ours. In Psalm 50, he says this, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, you may not have any livestock, but you have stuff. And he's saying, don't think I'm asking you to be generous because I need your stuff because I don't. I don't have a need for your piles of money or however much money that you seem to find confidence in that you have. And I don't have a need for all the cool stuff and the gadgets and the things that you buy. Because he would say, they're already mine. I own it all. It's already mine. I don't have a need for it, but you have a need to be generous with what I bless you with. And so the man in this story ends up with some huge obstacles in his life. And the biggest one was giving helps me overcome my obstacle of getting. His biggest obstacle was getting, was acquiring, was, was storing up. And he didn't understand that giving was the thing that would help him overcome that obstacle of getting more and more. Now, sometimes it's hard to be generous because we might have some legitimate obstacles in our life. It may not be that we're a miser or a materialist. We just have some obstacles in our life that prevent us from being generous with our resources. Maybe for you, it's debt. That's what it is for millions and millions of us. It's debt. Now, not everyone in debt should feel bad about it because maybe it's not your fault. Maybe a divorce caused you to be in debt that you never intended to have or you never caused. Maybe a medical issue caused you to be at a place you thought you would never be. And so now you've got these huge bills stacking up through no fault of your own. So when I talk about debt, it's not to make those of you who didn't have control over the debt that you're in, but that's not the majority of us. The majority of us are in debt because we wanted to buy something we didn't have the money for. That's what debt is. You see something you want, you don't have the money for it, but you're going to buy it anyway. And then we start getting debt and interest, and then we see something else we want, we have the money for it, 
but we're going to get it anyway. Because, hey, I don't have to make a payment for like six months or a year or till 2025 or whatever they say. And so I'm just going to get it, even though I don't have the money, because this is a deal. And so we end up finding ourselves in debt so deep that even if you wanted to be generous, you can't. Because you've created this huge obstacle to it called debt. And another obstacle for many of us might be fear. Maybe you grew up in an environment where you didn't have enough. Or you know what it's like to go to the pantry and open it up. And there's literally no food in it. Or maybe you know what it's like to wonder where your next meal is coming from. Or to be hungry and not have a way to get food. Or to to worry if your electricity is going to get cut off. And so your fear of what might happen again causes you to look out for yourself first and not be generous. Lifestyle expectations. That's another big obstacle. We expect a certain lifestyle, certain things. And so we think, well, I can't be generous because I've got to have this level of living, this standard of living. And that's related to this other obstacle, our disordered priorities. Here's what disordered priorities look like when it comes to generosity. We pay for everything we want first and do everything with our finances and our resources that we want first, and then we're generous with whatever's left. That is disordered priorities. Here's a question. If you're taking notes, write down this question and think about it. Does my lifestyle guide my level of generosity or does my level of generosity guide my lifestyle? Which is it? Am I generous with whatever's left because of my lifestyle or do I live in such a way that allows me to be a generous person? I was having coffee with a guy one time years ago and he was explaining to me how he had been blessed financially, like unbelievably blessed financially. And he was talking about how another boat or another big house or a vacation home or another car that he was like, you know, that's, that's really not going to help me out. It's not going to fill me up. It's not going to make me any happier. So I want to be generous with what I have. Because I went the route of buying all this stuff for me. And all of us think, well, I'd like to give that a try, you know, just to see, maybe. <laughs> but he had done it and he had determined, you know what, this is not where it's at. Just buying all that stuff for myself, that's not it. One more thing is not going to make me happier, or more fulfilled, but being generous will. And so he started to live a generous lifestyle. One little shift in our lives. One little move towards generosity and it will get easier. Whether you're a miser or you're a materialist, doesn't matter. Whatever extreme you're on, one little shift back towards God's design for generosity will make a huge difference in your life. See, this man that Jesus tells the story about, he never talks about earning money as being the problem. He never talks about possessions as being the problem. He talked about the guy had stuff and money, but he wasn't rich towards God. So Jesus doesn't go through stories where he knocks having money. He's just saying, be careful because your money will cause you to be greedy. 
And that's what you need to watch out for. Whether your money is in the bank and you feel like I've got to have this much, way, way more than you'll ever need, or whether you got a lot of stuff, way, way more than you'll ever need. Either way, he's saying these things can keep you for my ideal for you when it comes to generosity. Storing up money, having things is not what he's talking about. He's talking about doing that and not being rich towards God. Remember, this conversation started as a deeply spiritual conversation. And Jesus is saying, he tells this story to say, this is what happens to you when you put your trust in your stuff and you let your money and your possessions become obstacles to being generous. Do you ever look at a will? You ever read over a will? Maybe some of you have a will, and, and I, I've read over a will. And it asks questions depending on what kind you're looking at, like what do you want to leave to this person, or what do you want to leave this to, or this life insurance, how's that going to be all divided up, or these possessions. I have never seen a will that had the question, what would you like to take with you? Because you can't take any of it with you. This man who has all this money is going to die. The last I checked, the death rate is still one per person. Everybody dies. And Jesus is trying to get us to think about something more than just being a miser and holding it all up or being a spender, a materialist, and thinking I'm going to find contentment finally through the next purchase. How could this story have ended differently? For the guy to be poor and, and live in a shack? No, didn't have to be that way. How about this rich man had this big bumper crop? This man that had everything and more than he needed got more than he needed and he made a difference in the world with it. He was generous with what God had blessed him with. He had been blessed beyond all that he needed and he chose to be generous with it. Sure, he kept some for himself. Sure, he saved some up. But what kind of a legacy could he have left if he would have said, I'm going to be generous because God has given me more than I could ever need? Jesus is saying, don't let the obstacles that stand between where you are, whether you're a miser or a materialist, don't let that stand between the steps that you need to take to start to live a generous lifestyle. Giving. If you struggle with this, giving will help you overcome the obstacle of getting. Whether it's money or stuff, giving will help you overcome it. Imagine your life where generosity determined your standard of living rather than your level of generosity being what you do later after you live how you want to live, then you're generous. What if, what if generosity came first? What kind of legacy would you leave? This actually is not that complicated. might be difficult, but it's not complicated. It's simple. If you're a parent, your kids are past, I don't know, five to seven years old, you've probably taught them how to ride a bike. Now, through riding a bike, you end up with some skin knees, and some busted knuckles, and some tears, and tempers, and all the stuff that comes with that. 
But if you remember back, those of you that can ride a bike, I hope most people in here can, if you remember back when you learned, you didn't just jump on it and take off, you went a little ways and you went a little further and you went a little further. And little by little over time, it became just part of your nature. You can just jump on a bike and you can take off. The only way to learn how to ride a bike is to do what? Ride a bike. The only way to learn how to be generous is to be generous. You want to learn how to live a generous lifestyle and not be a miser, not be a materialist? Then be generous. That is the only way to do it. And it might be difficult at first. Anybody remember their very first car they ever had? I remember mine. It was a 1981, and many of you probably haven't heard of this, a Pontiac T1000. There's a picture of one like the one I had. That's what I had. It was a Chevy Chevette with a Pontiac sticker on it. It was all it was. I had the two-door hatchback. It was a cool, mine had better pinstriping and way better wheels than that one does. But that was my car. It did not have power steering. Now, if you don't know what that means, and many of you students probably don't know what that means, just ask your parents or somebody over like 40. They'll tell you. Cars didn't always have this really easy to, to steer uh, rack and pinion, hydraulic stuff that just made it, you know, where you could move it with your finger. Used to, when a car was sitting still, you could not turn the wheel. And if you did, I mean, it took everything you had to turn the wheel. But you know what you could do? You could start moving. And after you start moving, it would get a lot easier to steer, and it would feel just fine. Anybody could do it. Even grandma could steer after the thing gets going, but grandma could never turn the wheel when it was sitting still or going slow. As you start to be generous, it might be very difficult at first, but as you start to do it, as you start to allow your generosity to determine your lifestyle rather than, your, uh, than the other way around, as you start to do that, it will get easier. As you prioritize that, it will get easier. And then there'll be a day when you reach the tipping point and you're no longer sitting in the chair of the miser or the materialist and you'll still either be a spender or a saver, but you'll be closer to God's ideal for all of us where none of our trust comes from the things we have. None of our confidence in the future comes from what we saved up. None of our contentment comes from the things we've purchased. They're just things we might enjoy, a little bit of security for a rainy day. All that's okay, but that will not be what defines us. It will be God's desire for our lives. And that is to be generous. So I want to challenge you to start on a journey of generosity. To start wherever you are and start being generous with what you have. Before you know it, things will start to move, things will start to have momentum, and generosity won't just be something you feel like you have to do, it'll be something you feel like you get to do. The world will be a different place if we all viewed our resources like that. Our church would be different if we all viewed our resources like that. If we didn't think percentages or obligations, we just thought, what a joy to get to be generous the way God designed us to be. What would your family look like? What would your life look like if you moved away from the extremes and you became a generous person?
Take that step. Start driving down the road, and although it may be difficult at first, I promise you it'll get easier as you see what God does with your generosity. Let's pray. God, there are many of us in the room tonight that are savers, and God, we struggle with finding confidence in how much we save up. God, there are many of us that are spenders, and we struggle with finding happiness and contentment in the things that we purchase. Father, I pray that you would convict us from moving out to those extreme edges that turn us into misers or materialists. God, help us have the courage, help us to have the courage to start being generous simply by being generous. And I pray that every person here today starts to feel the momentum that generosity can bring in each of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.